0: Freaking auto. This this is Brock and Saul. Brock Eward and Mark Matt Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Back. Mike. Presented by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard on Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Eward and Mike Saul. <laughs> yeah, this is. Uh, I told you things were getting rough in Denver. Let me let me. <laughs> Let me read this to you in a sec. Uh, Getting and,
1: rough or continuing? Yeah, be-
0: yeah, well, I meant for Sean Payton <laughs> quickly. Um, but and then I'll get into the Mariners and my, my, uh, my little uh, phrase I've got for them this year. But um, so, so here's what happens. So Eric Goodman, I don't know who this guy is, but he's someone in the media, I think, in, uh, in Denver. And he had written yesterday, the story broke about Sean Payton becoming the Broncos head coach 24 days ago. Right now, he has six coaches on his staff, including himself, and has 12 more to fill, including everyone on defense. Please don't sell me a pile of garbage that he's taking his time. This is embarrassing. Okay, fine. Reply from Sean Payton on Twitter. (laughs) 16 with five to go. We'll fill you in when we're ready. So he's like (laughs) clapping back at the media and then, like, the Broncos retweeted it and were like, yeah, what coach said. And now everyone in Denver is like, what are you talking about? Like, you just started your whole tenure here by saying we're not going to be on social media as much. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to we're gonna be, what was it, anonymous donors and all that. And instead, he uses his own account to go back after the media? What are you talking about? What a terrible, th- that reminds me of Steve Sarkeesian when he was here and we, you know we play. was it in the open we just played we played in a bunch of the opens right where he says i don't read the internet boys mm-hmm. right and the and the reason that, that that became a thing and why it made me so upset is that when sark got here that was who he said to be he was going to be i'm the new age coach who's on twitter and i'm communicating in all the new ways which at the time you know was new it was it was it was not the norm like it is today and it's okay, great. That's this calling card. He's going to be the young, modern, new age online coach. Great. And then when we asked him about reports on the internet about something about Nick Holt getting fired or whatever it was, like, oh, I don't read the internet, boys. Yeah, you do. You just told us you're the internet guy. What are you talking about? Pick a lane and stick in it. And the same is sort of true of Sean Payton. So that's what's going on in Denver in case you're still following well, along down just there.
1: I can't believe. I mean, they had a pretty good defense last year, and now you're interviewing Rex Ryan, who hasn't coached since 2016, right? And Matt Patricia, who is like pretty much disgraced persona at this non
0: point. grata. You yeah. still got
1: Quandre Diggs and former guys from the Lions tweeting about how. Horrible and then they also tried Vance
0: Johnson, right? Who 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 was their coach? Yeah, he's Dude, a he's bizarre. an LA guy,
1: so that at least makes a little sense. But yeah. yeah.
0: Dude, it is yeah, it's quite a situation there. All right, moving on. We don't need to keep talking Denver Broncos uh, football here on, on Seattle Sports, but uh, I do want to spend some time here on the Mariners. We'll talk to Shannon coming up at 8 o'clock this morning. Jerry Depoto will join us at 8.30, so a lot of the 8 o'clock hour are going to be devoted to the M's before we head down to spring training uh, all next week. Anyway, I was saying yesterday, and I, I think I'm going to make this my, my mantra for the Mariners this year. The mission is incomplete. I think that's kind of where they're at as a team. Last year was awesome. They accomplished part one of the mission, right? They broke the drought and ended the drought and Raleigh's home run, and they even won a playoff series, and that was great. And now they need to keep that going. They need to finish the mission. So the mission is incomplete. What's the best way to turn this into a mantra? Is it finish the mission? Is it mission incomplete? How how do you complete the mission? What's the best way to, like, phrase this over and over again over the course of the year? I don't know, you guys can text me. And please don't just text me none. It's dumb. But, yeah, you know, that's not all that helpful. How would you do this? Because that, that's the sentiment I'm trying to get at, that the mission is still left incomplete. The goal, of course, is to go good to great. And I think their strategy to get there is mainly, primarily, to grow from within, that they've built the nucleus And they want it to succeed. I think that can work. It's risky. You've left yourself open to criticism if it doesn't work from every Mariner fan who's going to say, I told you all you needed to do was spend more money and you'd be better right now. It's a fair argument. Right? It's possible that that would work. It's not the direction I would go. I would take the same risk that the Mariners are taking, but certainly I'm not incapable of understanding the argument on the other side, nor is Jerry Depoto or John Stanton or anybody else connected with the organization. They are leaving themselves open to quite a bit of criticism if this doesn't work. Here's the difference. If this doesn't work, they still have lots of options open to them. There's lots of ways they can improve the team. If you get stuck with the next Chris Bryant, if you get stuck, who has barely played since the huge contract he signed in Chicago, if you get stuck with the next Trevor Story, who was awful last year in Boston and is going to miss at least half of this year, maybe all of this year, right? If you get stuck, like the Texas Rangers with two guys that didn't live up to their billing last year despite all the money you gave them, if you get stuck in one of those deals... Your options are a lot more limited at that point. So I understand the direction the Mariners are going, and their goal is to create a sustainable product year in, year out that they think can challenge. But, yes, there's a risk associated with it. How do you pull it off? How do you complete the mission? Well, obviously it starts with the rotation, right? One through five, that is going to be the strength of this team, and it needs it needs to deliver that way in order for them to be great. Uh, go read Joe fans piece on this rotation. It's up at Seattle sports.com. It's great. And I think I agree with him. I think this is going to be a top five rotation in baseball as well. I totally agree with Joe top five rotation. Yes. Count me in Marco Gonzalez saying yesterday that they're pretty uh, tight with each other.
2: That's just part of being a part of this group. You know, the, the starters are really close in the team and I've been fortunate to help, you know, kind of foster this culture of learning and growing and, and, and iron sharpens iron and all of that. And, We've just taken things from one another. I mean, we, we've learned. George learned a sinker. You know, Robbie had a sinker. Uh, I, I've built a slider now. You know, with the help of these guys, and so that doesn't happen without this group and their support. And you know, some of the best in the world at what they do. I'm just fortunate enough to be a part of it.
0: I love that, by the way. And when I start talking about reasons that I think this organ, this this rotation is going to be that good, he's on the list. Marco's on that list yeah of course it's because of you know Luis Castillo and George Kirby Logan Gilbert the guys at the top I mean they've got a one and and three twos that's a great start to a big time rotation I think Marco's gonna have a big year I'm putting it on the record I may be wrong about this one but as I said earlier I'm willing to give you my opinions I think Marco's gonna have a big year I think he is going to come out firing this year. I think that what happened at the end of last season being left off the roster in the playoffs is not going to sit well with a guy who had started game one of opening day, the year before and a year and a half later, two years later, he's off the playoff roster. Well, he took it personally this off season.
2: Every day I'm I'm picking her brain and and, uh, trying to figure out what I can do to, to to eat more clean, to to just be healthy as a person and, we really leaned into that. So it, it was a good talking
0: here. about his wife there. Who's a nutritionist and saying, Hey, I lost 15 pounds because, and that's on yesterday with Wyman and Bob, I believe. Right. Good for Bump him. And I'm sorry. With bumping Stacy. I think he's, I think he's going to have a monster year for Marco. And I think that's one of the things that puts this rotation over the top. And look, if you're going to complete the mission, you're going to need that rotation to be top five. You're going to need your sort of mid prime veterans to maintain, Ty France, good news. As we said yesterday, he was hurt last year, which spells, I hope, uh, an opportunity for him to get back to being the Ty France you need him to be. It means J.P. Crawford and Suarez and Tay Oscar and those guys, they've got to at least hit their baseball card. And it means that their skill in winning one-run games is going to need to continue. I think it will. I have a lot of confidence. I think that their speed and their ability to steal bags late and their bullpen are going to continue to help them in those spots. I think another guy that I predict big, big things for this year is Matt Brash. He has certainly been the talk of camp early on, which actually makes me a little bit nervous. But I think Brash is going to have a monster year. Won't surprise me if at some point this year we're talking about, hey, who should be their primary leverage reliever, Matt Brash or Andres Munoz? Won't surprise me at all. I think he's going to leapfrog Seawald, and I think at some point we're going to have that conversation of, hey, who do you trust in the biggest moment against the best player, Munoz or Brash? I think the world of Matt Brash and what he's capable of, and I think that will certainly help what they do at the ends of games and winning those close ones. And yes, it's going to need the Astros to come back to earth a little bit. It's going to need them to miss Justin Verlander. It's going to need them to have some problems, right, in order to make up that 16-game difference. John Morosi, he was on with Wyman and Bob yesterday, and he was talking about that in particular. The Mariners are getting closer to being a perennial postseason team. But again, they've got to make up 16 games on the Astros to win the division. So where are those 16 games? Where are they? Is it is it a having a full year of Castillo? Is it now the Astros being without Verlander and it looks like McCullough's for a period of time as well? With the news today that Lance is going to be out to start the season, maybe. And then if you get Teoscar and you add in Colton, and if if Kelnick figures it out, then these are there are some ifs here. You're not asking Kelnick to hit 55 home runs. You're just asking him to be what we think he can be. There are some ifs, but some of those things are real. Like the fact that they didn't have Luis Castillo all of last year. Like from essentially June 1st on, they played 100-win pace last year. Those are ways, and and Verlander did leave. I mean, they took a Cy Young Award winner off their rotation. Can they make up 16 games? I don't know. I don't know if they can. What if they make up 10? And, and are poised to even surpass them moving forward. What if they make up 10 and then beat them in the postseason? Is that good enough? I think so. That would come real close to completing the mission. Need to know.
2: 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what
0: you need to know. Up first. I don't like wrists. I said it quite a bit well over the course of my career, but especially last season as Ty France was clearly dealing with a wrist injury. And guess what he said yesterday after all of the denials, all of the people who said Ty wasn't hurt, as it turns out, he was. Yeah, I think it it stemmed from that that play in Oakland
2: where the uh, noisy took my arm out. Um, You know, there's still some lingering to it. And then I started manipulating my swing to try and avoid, you know, any pain or anything like that. So just created bad habits and kind of got away from my swing. So I think that was the biggest thing. And then wasn't getting the results that I wanted. So it was chasing hits, swinging at bad pitches. So it was just an accumulation of things.
0: Hmm. You don't say. So he was hurt after all. Look, I get it. That's what risks do. And this is sort of the argument I was trying to make last year is you can play through them. You go out, you get hurt, you spend some time on the, what, the IL, they call it now. You spend some time on the IL, you do what needs to be done. Maybe it's surgery, maybe it's rest, rehab, whatever. And then you are healthy enough to return. But it doesn't mean you are at your full strength. And I think that's exactly what happened with Ty France last year. When you don't trust your wrists, kind of important in the baseball swing, It's re- you start reaching, you start swinging earlier to make up for it and then you start getting yourself in really big trouble, which is what I think happened with him last year. So that's good news. Good to hear. I'm glad he was hurt last year because that means that he wasn't just bad all of a sudden. It means that the real Ty France is hopefully back this year, which is a huge, huge bonus for the, for the Mariners moving forward. Also... How about Julio Rodriguez? The uh, MLB Network is going through uh, their top 100 players in the game, kind of following the NFL Network uh, model that we've seen over the last decade or so. And Julio found himself at number 16. Good. Not incredible, but very, very good. Certainly great to see a, a Mariner in the top 20 or so. But listen to Chris Young. He seems to think that he's not going to be at 16 for long. I feel like Julio is well on his way to being one of the top five best players in the game. If we look at his season last year, what a year, by the way, but in April... I mean, he got the rookie treatment from the umpires in April. I mean, you're talking about 10 punch outs in April to where there were pitches out of the zone. But
2: he was able to keep his composure, which is what separates this young guy from the majority of gun guys. Normally, you get all up in arms about the bad calls. He stayed within himself, and he
0: trusted his game, and he was able to go out there and have an absolutely amazing season. It's funny how many people have brought up that his trust in his game. He's absolutely right. And if you listen to the entirety, I tweeted out that video last night. Uh, I think you can sort of hear they might have thought he got robbed a little bit. Like 16's good, and maybe he probably could have been a top 10 kind of a guy, maybe next year. Here's the second thing you need to know. I'm going to say this, and then I want it immediately stricken from the record, but I love what G. Scott told us yesterday. I think the Seattle Seahawks say, hey, you know what? We got about $25 million a season for you. You want that deal? Cool. If not, you're going to have to go out there on the market and find somebody that's going to beat that. And then we're going to rack them and stack them. And we're going to take the gamble with this young guy and this 24-year-old Drew Locke. Yeah, it's an interesting way of viewing how to handle Geno Smith. Basically, you sign Drew Locke to be your guy at a couple million dollars and then say to Geno, 25, take it or leave it. Best and final. We're not messing around with 30 to 35. Sorry. We got 25 million for you. We think that's what you're worth. If somebody else thinks you're worth more, great. And if not, that's what we're going to give you because we need to be able to know what we've got moving forward in order to build the rest of this roster. I think it makes sense. I don't know if you can pull it off. I mean, I don't, you know, there's some, some question marks in there, certainly about whether or not Drew Locke wants to come back in a scenario like that. And then does Geno say yes to $25 million? And I think regardless, you've got to know where you're going before you get to free agency because if you have to hold on to $25 million and reserve it for Geno Smith, That's money you can't spend on something else. The whole reason to not spend it on Geno, it's only if you're going to spend it on something else to make your defense significantly better. So I don't know how they pull all that off timing-wise, but I like the idea of what we heard from uh, G yesterday. It's also a cap casualty season in the NFL. Titans sort of got this thing started yesterday. Robert Woods, right, uh, wide receiver, who just spent a year there. Taylor Luan, longtime tackle. Uh, Randy Bullock, their kicker, and linebacker Zach Cunningham, all were released here's the third thing you need to know right, we're gonna find out just how good the kraken really are tonight they take on what appears to be the modern day version of the big bad bruins boston's been just the class of the league this year big time scoring offense very good defense as well uh, we're going to talk to Joe Haggerty, a friend of mine who covers the uh, the Bruins, coming up at nine thirty this morning. But guess what? The last time uh, Seattle was there in Boston, they beat them and left a pretty strong impression on Boston Star Patrice Bergeron.
1: Yeah, it was their forecheck. You know, they're really uh, a hardworking team that was on the puck at all times and uh, had a good transition. They were, uh, you know, playing hard. Um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's a team that. Uh, uh, we know what they're all about. their team it's uh, you know, has as good depth but also see uh, seems to be playing the right way and, and- those teams are not, uh, easy to play
0: against. It's never hard when listening to the sound to determine whether or not a hockey player is talking or not. They just sound different from every other piece of sound that we play here on the station. Look, beat Boston tonight, and again, I think you continue to put pressure on GM Ron Francis to make a move at the deadline. And speaking of that, uh, ESPN Insider Emily Kaplan reporting yesterday, an assistant GM told her, quote, I think they've been sniffing around on a lot of possibilities to add to their roster. They still have the big picture in mind, to build the right way, but I think they see an opportunity this year and may go for it. Very interesting. That is everything you need to know, and we do that quarter past every hour here on the new Brock and Salk show.
1: I like the, the way she worded that, too, is that she asked an assistant general manager for a surprise team that could be the main character of right. deadline day. So they're talking about a big trade there.
0: Right. Not like, oh, you know, they might make a little move or something like, no, they might steal the show. I mean, if you're doing that, you're probably trading Shane Wright, right? I mean, like at that point you're trading yeah, it's not
1: Carson Seussy.
0: No. And that's yeah, that was interesting. The rest of, of her piece kinda of goes on to say, Oh, maybe they would include Carson Seuss. Yeah, maybe. <laughs>
1: like, I mean, he could be a part of it. Oh, but teams but are loath
0: to get rid of a veteran defenseman <laughs> in a run to the playoffs. Like, no, nah, I think they'd handle getting rid of Carson Soucy just fine. To be fair to Carson, he's played much better recently. I mean, I, we were giving him a lot of grief uh, a month or two ago, and he was really playing poorly. He has played much better since then. They've kind of changed up the defensive pairings, and, and I think that has helped him quite a bit, pairing him with Schultz. Instead, I think having somebody who's really responsible with him makes him look better and allows him to look for his offense a little bit more rather than having him with another young kid and will Borgen. So it's a nice move that Hackstall's made putting Borgan up with Alexiak and then dropping Susie down. I think he's gotten more out of both of them in doing that. But when you get to the postseason, you want to try to put Schultz and Alexiak back together, right? And have your number two defense be intact, which means either Borgen or Susie's probably not going to be on your postseason squad. So how do you how do you plan for that now? Now that's going to be part of what they have to do here heading into the deadline. All right. I was thinking about uh, NFL decision makers yesterday and just people in, who cover that league in general. And it dawns on me that many of them forget about one of the most important things in life. Tell you what that is next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710 and the Seattle Sports
2: app. You're listening to Brock and Salk.
1: Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. On
2: Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports App.
0: What's that phrase people keep using now? Lost the plot? That seems like it's the new thing, right? People keep saying people have lost the plot. Have you heard that or seen that anywhere? Sure. It just seems like one of those... Uh... <laughs> It's a phrase that's caught fire recently, and I I found myself thinking about it last night in regards to NFL teams and specifically the media, sort of the, the, the NFL media complex covering the league, that at times I think they lose the plot. That they get caught up in the details and occasionally forget the goals, if that makes sense. It's, and I can be a little bit more specific about that. But it's like they think in a small area with blinders on and sometimes forget, what's the big goal here? To build a Super Bowl winner, right? And I, and I think that there's a lot of the, well, this guy's on that team, so that's where he's going to be. And it's weird that that happens more in the NFL than in any other sport. But it does seem to, right? And 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 I'm not entirely sure why that is, but it does seem to go that way, where NFL players are deemed to be where they're at until they're not anymore, right? And so I think that there's this, like, well, of course the Seahawks are going to bring back Geno Smith. He was good for them last year. Okay. Maybe. But isn't the goal to upgrade? Isn't the goal to get better? Now, maybe there's other ways to get better. I'm not saying that Gino shouldn't get back or shouldn't be back here, but I'm always sort of surprised by how simple – NFL media folks tend to make things, which Maura might explain that conversation we've had a few times now of why is no one even mentioning Geno Smith, who's listed as a top five free agent virtually everywhere, as a possibility for any of these other open quarterback jobs in Atlanta, in New York, in Las Vegas, in Indianapolis, in Like, There's a million teams that need quarterbacks, some of which are talented.
1: I have not read In San Francisco. Linking him to one other than mostly people here wondering if he might follow Dave Canales. Tampa Bay. I've not seen any national reports like, oh, the Jets might want him back or the Falcons might like him.
0: The Giants might want Like, there are so many teams that could be interesting fits for Geno Smith. And maybe it's just that the league doesn't value him and doesn't think he's that good. I don't think it's that. They know he just had a great year. I think it's this just sort of bizarre view in the NFL of like, well, it's already happening, so it'll probably just keep happening. And I think that is the way the NFL operated for a long period of time. Whatever was happening, people just sort of, you know, kept doing it. And I I found myself thinking about this yesterday uh, in listening to some of K.J. Wright, our friend K.J., who was on yesterday with Wyman and Bob talking about Gino.
2: The price is above 30. Yes, the price is above 30. The years, what are we talking about years-wise? Yeah, yeah, I just, here's my thing, guys, with quarterbacks. I'm going to be be honest here. When I sign a quarterback to my team, this is, should be, this is the guy.
0: He is the guy. And the goal is, can this quarterback bring me a Super Bowl? Can he bring me a championship? Yes or no? Thank you, KJ. Yes. That is the question. Yes or No, we're not talking about, we're talking about quarterbacks in general. Yes or no? And if I don't feel like this
2: quarterback can bring me a Lombardi trophy, my mindset should be, let me add more pieces to the puzzle. Let me keep adding guys to the puzzle. And then, because salary cap-wise, when you do pay the kind of money, it shrinks what you can do as a team. So let me pay guys that I know they can do it, that I can trust to do it, versus putting all these eggs in one basket. I,
0: I, I think he's so right about that. And 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 I think we do need to keep asking those questions with all of the moves the Seahawks make this offseason. Right? I, I just I hear a lot of the like, well, you know, this defensive lineman's been there, so he'll probably be back next year. But they weren't good last year on the defensive line. Why are we okay with that? Well, you know... He's a capable NFL player, yeah, but they need to get better, <laughs> like, and, and in a bunch of different spots. So I don't know whether losing the plot is the right thing to say, but it's just so funny. I, I I like development. I think there's value in developing guys, and I think it happens. And Pete believes that guys can get better from year to year in the NFL. Um, I think that's true, and I like offering your guys an opportunity. Maybe above people from the outside because I think you've brought them in for a reason, right? There's a reason you drafted that person over someone else. You saw something in them, and you want to try to get that out of them. But you can't be stuck on those players. You can't remain stuck on them like the Seahawks were with LJ Collier for too long. Just stuck on them, trying to get something out, you know, trying to get blood from a rock. This is not going to happen. It's the one thing more than anything else that I think.
1: You be able to do that at a darkness retreat.
0: That's true. It's the one thing more than anything else that Belichick, I think, gets right. And he gets it more right than anybody else. He is cold-hearted, and he has a slavish devotion to building the best team without any regard to people's feelings. Right? Adam Vinatieri wins you a couple Super Bowls. Psh, see you later. Ty Law wins you Super Bowl or two. Psh, see you later. Lawyer Malloy, see you later. Asante Samuel, see you later. Richard Seymour, see you later. Right. And those are just the early years. I mean, that's what he did for the entire Wells Welker. Yeah. Appreciate it. See you later. We can do this with somebody else. Julian Edelman will play the same role. Bye bye. Just a, a complete confidence in his own system and an ability to say goodbye to people, which is easy to do when you don't have much of an emotional connection with them. And- now, on the on the Pete Carroll's view with Pete Carroll's style, a little harder. Right. A little harder to act that way because it doesn't come off as natural. It doesn't come off as authentic.
1: But as we talked about yesterday, the funny thing is he still got viewed as the bad guy by a lot of players in the end. Well, and I think he's you, going you can't to keep everyone together. He
0: gets viewed as the bad guy more than Bill Belichick does, because while well, Belichick makes it clear right from the beginning, hey, we're at arm's length. I'm not your friend. I'm not your friend. I'm not your dad. I'm the I'm the cold hearted SOB who's running this show. And the moment you're not good for me, you're out of here. That's his style. And it's worked. Most NFL coaches are now moving away from that style because it's hard to do, as we've seen based on the failure of essentially every single Belichick tree coach who has tried to pull it off anywhere else. But when you have Pete's style and players feel Pete's warm embrace for all of that time, they believe it. He loves me. He's here for me, and then when he says uh, bye bye, they're shocked. What do you mean you're getting rid of me? You love me.
1: Linda how White could you get and rid and of Marshall me? I'm your own son. Called it getting. F- they felt f- they got finessed. They got
0: finessed. It's terrible. Oh, this guy loves me, and now he's getting rid of me. How could you get rid of me? How could you just throw your own son out the door to get a new family? I'm sure that's how many of them feel in that moment because of Pete's style, and I also think. It, it, it happens more with football players than with baseball players. I think football players have a much harder time understanding how their value declines. It's a little bit easier in baseball because you see your numbers on the screen every day. And you can literally see your value. Hey, last year I was hitting 250. The year before that I was hitting 270. This year I'm hitting 190. I'm not as good as I used to be. I can see it. There are numbers right in front of me. When you're Bobby Wagner and the numbers show that your tackles are exactly the same as they were last year and the year before and the year before that, it's a little harder to see that the big plays aren't there. It's a little harder to see that the team isn't able to do what it needs to do because it's paying your salary. So when you cut Bobby Wagner, he's shocked. When you cut Bobby Wagner's equivalent in the in baseball and he's hitting a buck 12, He's like, yeah, I get it, right? I understand. Got it, Skip. Yeah, I haven't really been delivering. I've got a, you know, nine and a half ERA. I'm getting hit all over the ballpark. Hopefully I can get it back somewhere else, but I understand why you can't keep me around right now. Generally, you're not bitter in baseball after somebody gets rid of you because you can see the numbers. But in football, you can't see it the same way. You still feel like you were five years ago. And unfortunately for them, you know, they don't know where they're at. And I think that's why we've gotten some of the, some of the, post-Pete depression that, that seems to go on for these players. And then eventually they go somewhere else and they realize that it's not all it's cracked up to be. And, oh, man, I don't actually like it here. I wish I could go back. And I really did like it and enjoyed, you know, all of Pete's little quirks and, you know, idiosyncrasies. They were actually pretty fun and it was a great environment and I had a good time. And, oh, I guess maybe I wasn't as, as good as I thought I was at the end. Right. Generally, people will tend to realize that when it's all said and done. Oh, the rest of the league doesn't want me either anymore. Got it. Yeah. Maybe I'm toast because that's the only way, you know, in the NFL. Right. Is when all of a sudden nobody wants you and you find out that your value is not as high as it once. Well, wait, everybody wants me. I got, to, you know, 75 tackles last year. Nobody wants you. Oh, really? Yeah. There's no market. OK. Maybe I'll retire. Yeah. It just it's it's a remarkable difference. And and I found myself thinking about that as, you know, thinking about those those the sound that we were playing you yesterday from those guys kind of complaining about Pete Carroll and 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 that sort of uh the way the system ends up rubbing people the wrong way over time. And then thinking about, you know, how hard it is to deal with someone like Geno Smith, who sees his value one way. And it, it it's harder, I think, for football players to see the big picture. Remember talking to KJ about some of this, or Bobby, or any of those guys, and you're like, "Yeah, I get it, but can you really play pay a linebacker X, Y, or Z when he's reliant on the dudes up front?" Um, and they don't think about that, right? And KJ finally is like, "Yeah, I guess that makes sense." And I'm not saying that to put him down at all. KJ a smart dude, and when called upon to think about that stuff, he does. But as a player in the league, players aren't thinking that way. They're not thinking about how to build a team in general. They get offended when you say, hey, you're not worth the money. I understand why. They want to get paid as much as possible and maximize what tends to be a short career. That I LLB get it. That
1: era team that was so dominant, it was like after every year someone else wanted to get paid and thought that they were, like, I was a big part of that. Yet, yeah, this is a team with a ton of Hall of Famers on it. Everyone was a part of it. You can't pay everyone every year. It became... I was honestly surprised that the Seahawks were able to pay as many of them as they were And, and they
0: probably shouldn't have. They probably they paid probably went too, too much that. of it. Yeah, they probably did. Belichick wouldn't have done that. He would have identified a few more of those guys and said, Psh, see you later. And then those guys would have been mad, as they were, right? And, and okay... But it's a little different here with Pete Carroll. So I, I I think that will be a challenge with Gino and a challenge with G. Scott's idea that I liked yesterday. Offer him 25 and say, take it or leave it. We're signing Drew Locke. Gino's going to say, leave it because he's going to try to maximize his value, which he may be wrong about. And he may not sign. That's the risk, right? You say, take it or leave it. And he says, OK, leave it. All right. Now you're now you're in it. Now you're going with Drew Locke next year. Yeah, it's a it's a challenge. So we'll talk to Bob Kondota coming up here in a couple of minutes. Uh, we'll do a little Blue Eighty Eight with him. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. We've been uh, kind of going, rotating through a few people with uh, Brock out over the course of this week. Who, who tomorrow, it sounds like we've got uh, Mike Lefko in with Ryan Roland Smith. So a lot of baseball talk, a lot of big baseball conversation tomorrow. And yes, we'll have quite a bit more of it today. Shannon Dreyer is going to join me coming up here in about 15 minutes, and then Jerry DePoto at 830. 30. Uh, that must mean it's GM day. Here on the station, which means that John Schneider is also going to be on the station at four o'clock this afternoon with Wyman and Bob. So if you didn't catch any of that last week, uh, he is doing that every Thursday between now and the end of April, uh, the first round of the draft. So make sure uh, you tune in a little bit later this afternoon, four o'clock, as John Schneider will join Wyman and Bob right now. will Blue 88. This is Rockin' Sox Blue 88. Blue 88.
2: We take you to the field as Brock Heward breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Heward, and Mike Saul. <laughs>
0: All right, generally three good football questions for Brock, but of course he's out today, and so the legendary Bob Condota of the Seattle Times taking a few minutes to answer three football questions. Hi, Bob. How are you? Hey, Mike. uh, Good. How are you doing? It's good to to have you on. Appreciate it. Let me uh, start here, and I'll start with Geno Smith, of course. Why is no one nationally even mentioning Geno Smith as an option in any of the other quarterback needy cities?
2: Um, well, I think you're seeing him mentioned a little bit in Tampa Bay because, especially now that Dave Canales is there. But yeah, I, I just think maybe there's some, there's some bigger names out there and people are waiting to see some of the dominoes that fall first with Derek Carr and stuff like that. You know, where, where Aaron Rodgers is. I mean, I listened to a guy yesterday. He just said Aaron Rodgers is the first big one. You know, you, you sort of have to wait and see what happens with him and then everything else is going to fall into place. So, you know, I, it, for as good as you know was last year, he's not Aaron Rodgers or in pedigree. So, I think it's just that. I think there's there's some the other dominoes that sort of have to fall first, and then Geno's maybe in that second tier quarterback free agents, and we'll see what happens. But um, you know, like, I guess that's also a a function of I think most people just assume he's going to resign in Seattle and, and, and kind of kind of are pegging him in there when they look at it as well.
0: All right, we're going to come back to that in a moment. Question number two. <laughs> How active in general do you see the Seahawks in free agency this year? It's obviously not been a huge part of their building process for the last decade. Do you think that will change at all this offseason?
2: Yeah, that's a, I, probably not. I, I really don't think they're going to change their philosophy at all. I think they feel like last year helped validate a lot of what their philosophy is. Um, you know, they also cap space always goes so much quicker than you think it does, and especially with all their draft picks this year. You know, they got to save about $10 million for their draft picks, and so it's the one you know, it's great to have a lot of draft picks, and when you're a fan and you look at the cap space, and you're like, "Oh man, we could do this, this, and this." You got to remember that with ten picks and a couple of them pretty high, you suddenly have to carve out a lot of cap space for that. So, and John likes to keep flexibility. Um, you know, he he always likes to have enough going into the season for things that can happen, like uh, uh, like trading for Xavier Clowney if a guy like that becomes available in September. You know, he always says it's a three hundred, you know, roster building's a three hundred sixty five day a year thing. It's not just, you know, it's not just you know, be five days in March or the draft or whatever. So I, I don't know that they're gonna deviate a whole lot from that. That said, I think they're gonna do something with the defensive line. Um, you know, center we'll see. I think that's a spot they need to do, and then receiver, I think they, you know, I think they gotta add something there. So I, I see a couple of spots I think where they could definitely try to target some specific guys and do something.
0: Good stuff. All right, question number three The biggest uh surprise of this off season will be what?
2: um well i mean I, sorry i got a little bit of a cold and try to shake it off here um i think if they you know if they don't resign Geno smith i mean that would be it to me i mean not re and gino not having to go at it another way i also i still just think doing my, they're going to do something early in the draft of the quarterback I, you know i think everybody just assumes they resign sign gino and then quarterback's not a priority but i you know i think you know as pete carroll called it you know a great opportunity having these picks this high then we all know the greatest, you know, the greatest thing of value you can have in the NFL is a good quarterback on a rich contract. And so, even if you're committed to Geno you know, for, for, for the immediate, that doesn't mean you don't look long term and be like, if we can get one of these guys, we really go at it. So, you know, I, I think I think maybe nationally that could be it. You know, they could resign Geno and then still take a quarterback in the first round with with one of those picks, or you know, if they trade down and, and, and acquire. Um, you know, a multiple picks somewhere in the late first or early second or
0: something like that. That would be interesting, and something we've talked a little bit about, whether it's Hendon Hooker or, you know, some of these second-round options as well. All right, that's Blue 88, but since I've got you and you woke up to talk to me, I appreciate that, especially dealing with a cold. Uh, let, me, let me run through and come back to some of that, and, go, and starting with Gino. What do you think his value ends up being? I mean, I was talking to G yesterday, G Scott, and I kind of liked his approach. He said— why don't you sign Drew Locke to, I don't know, $2 million deal, whatever it is Drew Locke is worth, and then tell Gino, we got 25 for you, take it or leave it. Do you think that his market, on you know based on how little he's being talked about elsewhere, could get higher than that?
2: Yeah, I, 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 I that's a really good question is what Gino's market is. And I think that's what both sides are really trying to evaluate here. And I think that's going to be one of the things about the combine next week is when they get together there and, you know, John talks to everybody everybody there, and they, and they start to get a, a, kind of the lay of the land of where things are going to go with some of this stuff. And I think it'll become more crystal clear then um, what his value is. But I think that's the million-dollar question, and I think it's what what does Geno feel like his value is versus what the Seahawks do. And, and you know, I don't think the Seahawks are going to, you know, go too, too high here. I, I think they are going to set a valuation on Geno, and that's, that's going to be pretty much what it is because they do have that ability to – um, because they do have the draft picks where they know they can do something there. And I you know, Drew Locke's whole thing is Drew Locke wants to play. So, you know, he I, I don't know that he's necessarily gonna be on board with I'll just take whatever you want to come back and go get and go use the rest of the money for Gino. I, I don't know that he's gonna be on board for that. I, I think he I think he's gonna want an opportunity to play. And, and you know, if he comes back to Seattle and they, and it's just part of a plan to bring back Gino, mm. he knows he's just penciled in as well, a backup something. day one.
0: And maybe it's not. Maybe it's because hey, we're going to bring him back. And if Gino walks, OK, you're rolling with Drew Locke and you've got 25 million extra dollars to go spend in free agency. I know you said uh, cap space tends to go faster than you think, by the way. Why does that seem to happen here? Whereas everywhere else, they keep like they they just keep adding names, and we say, when are they ever going to run out of cap space in New Orleans or in you know L A or so? It's it's amazing how quickly it seems to go here compared to everywhere else.
2: Well, you saw that start to backfire in L A last year with yeah. the, you know with the five and twelve record, and, and now they're you know that, that's a franchise in complete kind of hard to figure out what's going to happen there. So that's sort of the thing. I, you know, again, John always talks about building a consistent uh, championship caliber football team, a phrase that, you know, you hear him use all the time. And, and that's sort of the, they, they they try to resist uh, pushing money back, more money back than they have to. And, and they did do a little bit more of that the last couple of years with some of the void year stuff that they did, especially the, the COVID year. Um, when everybody kind of did that. But, you know, everybody always talks about that with the Saints, but I don't remember the Saints winning Super Bowls lately. (laughs) Um, You know, I I always see this about about they're the one team that's figured out how to do the salary cap, but it's not like it's doing them any good Mm. when it comes to the season. (laughs) You know, they're not winning a bunch of games everywhere or anything. So, um, you know, I I, I think, again, that's the the deal. I think they've always tried to keep fairly, you know, they've really tried to uh, stick to a pretty strict cap philosophy.
0: He tweets these things that really make you seem like, you know, he's unhappy with his contract or whatever. And then the moment anybody jumps on it, he's like, oh, no, 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 no. It has nothing to do with that. It's funny how that that seems to be like the modern thing to do now with uh, with all these athletes on Twitter.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I You know, I, and it, it, it was a fair point that, uh, you know, it was easier to read more into that than, than maybe there is. Because, uh, you know, I went back when I first just saw it. Then I went back. And I, I actually found a couple of stories that talked about. Um, you know, how they sort of know each other right. and, and played football like, together against each other in Miami and stuff like that. So but it was look, obviously a good bit more story.
0: But the NFL is often built on relationships. And when you have a good yeah, no relationship doubt. with somebody, you know, oftentimes you end up following them wherever they go, especially with a position like quarterback. So, Hey, great stuff. As always, you can read Bob in the pages of the Seattle times, Seattle Thanks, man. We'll talk again. Okay, thanks, Mike. Great stuff. Love talking to Bob. Condota does a fantastic job covering the Seahawks. All right. Hey, we've got breaking Mariner news. Seriously. The Mariners have signed a name that virtually every single Mariner fan knows. Shannon Dreyer has the report, and she'll tell us more about him next.